Omajana Trimanandasya, Sanajana Salakaya, Chakshuan Militanyena, Tasmai Shri Guruve Namaha, Vanchakapatu Vishya, Kripa Sindhubi Vichya, Patitanam Pavane Bio, Vaishna Vijut Namon Maha. So good evening. Thank you for coming. Continuing with our discussion. <coughs> of Madhurya Kadambani, dealing with specifically the stage of Anartha Nivriti. Coming this evening to that stage in the discussion where Vishwanath is going through the Nam Aparads systematically. He's given us an overview of the four kind of Anarthas, uh, those relating to our material baggage, so to speak, uh, both good and bad, and then going forward into those that deal with our practice of spiritual life, <clears throat> and in dealing with the ones centered around uh, our spiritual practice, um, he's casually dismissed to some extent seva aparads dealing with our worship of the Lord in the temple um, provided we're our consciousness is set on worshiping the Lord appropriately and we don't become neglectful uh, becoming neglectful takes what is a, a seva aparad done unintentionally or without knowledge both we may not, we just may not know all the details of how to worship the deity, uh, but we may be called upon to do an arti, and it's, we don't know what the mantras are, we don't know what we're supposed to be thinking when we wake the deity in the morning, but there's been some situation, we've been called upon to do some service. So we may be lacking in that regard, and certainly if we don't know the details uh, due to our circumstance at that time, there's all likelihood we will we will perform what would be called a seva aparad. We'll do our worship in a way and uh, in a way that's neglectful of what um, the standard is for Krishna's worship. Worship. Um, Sadikas are worshiping uh, Radha and Krishna or Gornitai, uh, Krishna and Balaram. Uh, with a sense of awe and reverence. Uh, once the devotee gets to the more advanced stages of, uh, of uh, praying bhakti and of, of bhava bhakti and praying bhakti, then uh, he's no longer even considered a sadhika and uh, his meditation and his worship is, is going to be considerably different. Uh, not being anywhere, not even having a glimmer of what that stage is like. I can't speak about it, but uh, we can get some glimpse from uh, from hearing from more advanced devotees and from also uh, uh, what we read in this in the scripture uh, accounts of uh, speaking to your deities intimately and uh, the like. Uh, carrying them around in a bag around your neck. That's pretty far out. <laughs> so, uh, 
So save opera rods, we're just careful and we, we, uh, we, we, don't, we don't intentionally or neglectfully uh, do a save opera rod. Um, and especially we don't get into a bad habit. So if we can avoid that, then seva operads are easily dealt with with our daily worship of the holy name, chanting the holy name, associating with the devotees, serving the guru. Um, so the the seva operads are not are not dealt with uh, ex- extensively uh, uh, by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his this presentation, Midoriya Kadambadi. But when we come to Nam Aparads, then he's, he is dealing uh, pretty extensively. And tonight we are going to hone in. We've touched upon in the last class uh, Sadhu Ninda, uh, the very first of the ten offenses to the Holy Name, an offense to a Vaishnav, a Sadhu. So, who's a sadhu? That's where we're going to go tonight. Who's a sadhu? What's the definition that Vishnu, Vishwanath uses when he says sadhu? So, this is an English translation of the verse dealing with sadhu ninda. And he's going to go systematically through the ten offenses and, and highlight those things that he feels we need to take with us so that we can avoid them. The Sastras say, persons having qualities such as compassion, not envy, and universal tolerance are described as sadhus, since they strictly follow Vaishnava Dharma. From this statement... That was a quote. From this statement, one should not think that only blaspheming such sadhus is an offense. Padma Purana says, even a sinful person with all bad qualities who lacks proper behavior, is wicked, fallen, and deceitful, is liberated if he takes the shelter of the lotus feet of Govinda. In this verse, it is needless to say that if such an ill-behaved person is devoted to the Lord, he is also known as a sadhu, according to Kaimuktika Nyaya, the broad definition. and definition based on what's presented in the Shastras. That's, that's a broad definition. It means a, really we don't, we don't want to offend anybody. Brings to mind a, a, a narration from... Uh, from the Srimad Bhagavatam of Dhruva Maharaj. And uh, a careful reading of this narration repeatedly uh, throughout my life. Um, we know Dhruva. Dhruva had a brother. Uh, 
his father had two wives and uh, one of the wives was the younger pet wife and one was the older wife. Druva was the son of the older wife and she wasn't the pet of the household anymore. Uh, she'd been uh, uh, glanced over, say, or uh, for for the younger uh, the younger wife. So, and the younger wife was proud of her position. Hey, the king likes me best. Now, naturally, Druva had also a claim to the throne. And he had affection for his father, the king. So at one point, naturally, as a child, he tried to climb on the lap of his father. And uh, the young wife was, was uh, very harsh with him. <laughs> if you want any affection from your father, you need to die and take birth from my womb. Wow. What a blow to his, to his whole, his whole character that must have been. Uh, so of course he runs to his mother and what, what can I do? I mean, I'm not even allowed to sit on the lap of my father. Uh, my my uh, stepmother is just she's she's treating me very harshly and. Uh, and I'm being pushed aside, and you and I see that you're also neglected within the the royal household. The mother says, "Well, I don't know much, but I have heard that if if you worship God, He can fulfill all desires." Okay, where is He? Well, I've heard He resides in the in the uh, in the forest. That's where all the sages go to hook up with Him. Okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> so he goes off to the forest and he he where's God I have a couple requests to make of him uh, and of course where there's a necessity then Krishna is, is sending some facility along comes Narada in the Bhagavatam, you'll notice along come Narada is a, is a, is a recurring theme. <laughs> so, along comes Narada, and he, uh, he says, uh, well, you're a little young. Uh, you're, you're out here in the forest all by yourself. I think you better go home. No, I came out here to find God. Well, why would you do that? Well, my mother said he was here somewhere. I think it's best you go home. No, I'm not going home. I need to find God. I need I need to have some some assistance from him. Narda took compassion and, and said, Okay, fine. You want to find God, then I'll give you a mantra. You chant this mantra and there's a good likelihood God will show up sooner or later. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. So he chants his mantra and um, sure enough 
under the direction of his spiritual master, his uh, his desires fulfilled. And, uh, what would you like? Well, I, I I'd like to have I'd like to have my father's affection, but you know that's not even important anymore. You know, I'd really like to have his kingdom. I'd like to have a kingdom as 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 wonderful as Brahma. That's why I've been meditating on you all this time. But now that I see you, now that I'm experiencing your presence, I, I realize that this is this was not the proper intent of such worship. Uh, I was seeking. I'm seeking broken pieces of glass in comparison with 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 your personality. Uh, can I just be your devotee? Sure. But since you did want a kingdom, I'll do that too. Uh, be careful what you wish for. Uh, anyway, he was given his own kingdom, Druvaloka. And uh, of course he returned back to the, to the household of his father. He was warmly received by everyone, including his stepmother. And his brother, who fell at his feet, begged his forgiveness. Um, but the Bhagavatam goes on to narrate that his brother went off to the forest at one time and he was killed. And his mother also uh, went out looking for her son and she also died. And it comes out there that both of them were dispatched because of their f offense to Dhruva Maharaj. Wait a minute. He wasn't a devotee then. He was just the son of a king. He hadn't met the spiritual master. He didn't even know anything of the Supreme Lord until his mother suggested that he might be able to find him in the woods. But he had been offended by his mother-in-law and by, by his brother to some extent. And because of that offense, before he even became a devotee, they had to suffer a reaction. It's quite telling, is it not? <laughs> When we think about it in, in perspective, uh, uh, to offend somebody that hasn't even become a devotee yet can have seri serious consequence. Well, to speak of a devotee. And Vishwanath, in his verse tonight, is making the point that, and don't be careful. Uh, don't discriminate between what would be the natural thinking when it comes to who the sadhu is, the gentle, kind, knowledgeable, merciful, paka, everything going right for them, devotee, that's the sadhu, and the other guy who can't even put his dhoti on straight, doesn't know how to worship, can't chant his rounds properly, can't do any service worth a, you know, 
that's not a sadhu. So what we have to we have to look seriously. What's the def, what where do, where do we get to the core of the matter? Who is actually the sadhu here? What does it mean to be a sadhu in the eyes of Krishna and the advanced devotees? How are they perceiving who is and who isn't a sadhu? Because it's because here we're seeing Vishwanath Chakravarti is very clear. And Krishna also in the Bhagavad Gita is very clear, is he not? Sudaracharo. <clears throat> Daracharo means bad. We add su to it and it's super bad. <laughs> like on steroids, to use a common phrase in the Sangha. <laughs> so, super bad. But the key is, what is the intent of someone coming? If their intent, if they're coming, if in their heart, and especially ourselves, just starting out in Krishna consciousness, really hard to read somebody's heart for us. But if their heart is, I want to be Krishna's devotee, then they are a sadhu. But to tell you the truth, better to always err on the side of caution. Why don't we just be completely respectful of every living entity, devotee or non-devotee? Then we're safe. Because if the non-devotee becomes a devotee, that's not going to come back on us if we are neglectful of them except for the people who are neglectful of Krishna and Nimical or neglectful of the devotees. And we're not offensive to them. We don't blaspheme them. We just avoid them. If you're going to hell in a breadbasket, hey, go for it. I'm not going to stand in your way. If you want to blaspheme the devotees and whatever, except if you want, if you are hateful, if you're hateful, then, well, I have to stand up for what's right. And we also have rules that we follow regarding that. Although I haven't seen it practically applied, but we're told we can cut out their tongue if they blaspheme the spiritual master. I haven't seen anybody do it. I've been around. I'm an old man now, but, you know, uh, it's there. So it's not commonly practiced. I don't even know, I haven't even heard in India of any, anybody going up and cutting somebody's tongue out. So, But it's there. Scripture says you could do that. But practical application is, is not there. Uh, we close the door in their face and, and avoid them. That's enough. Sudarachiro. Apichet Sudarachiro, Bajate Mam, Ananyabak, Sudoreva Sa Mantavya, Samyak Vyavasi Tohi Sa. 
What Krishna is talking about here is Ananya Bhakta, someone exclusively devoted to Krishna and Krishna's devotees. That is a sadhu. Whether he's cleared of all anarthas or has bags of them, tractor trailers full of them. That's the criteria. And if you're not qualified, if you don't have the discrimination to see into somebody's heart, if, if your vision is still external, then better you treat all the devotees as, as sadhus. Brings to another point that I want to I want to just touch upon, um, especially when it comes to this sangha, Sri Chaitanya Sangha. We're a very uh, we have a very unique position in that we have powerful leadership that's fully steeped in a very deep understanding of of the Siddhanta of the Madhva, the Gaudiya Madhva Sadpradaya, and has received specific direction from his Siksha Guru to do relief work. And we notice that the senior people in the Sangha also are helping him in that regard. So there's relief work to be done. What that means is there is a lot of misconceptions in Western and Eastern practice of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Uh, a minimization of the entire uh, copus of the books, the entire uh, lineage uh, uh, maybe an overemphasis on a on a uh, uh, jagat guru, which is great. I mean, we all want to fall at the feet of the jagat guru, but not not in a in an uninformed way. So within this sangha, there is a lot of relief work going on. And that relief work has to be approached in a very mature way. Uh, first of all, you have to have some basic grasp of the of the of the of the knowledge, the siddhanta, uh, and have heard uh, sufficiently from your guru Maharaj to be able to repeat things in, in a nice way. Uh, and some of the misconceptions that are there are put forth by people that are in, in more advanced positions uh, socially, like a sannyasi or, you know, uh, simply changing your, your cloth doesn't uh, make you a deep understanding, understander of uh, the Madhvagadya Sampradaya although we would hope that you wouldn't change your cloth until you had that understanding. But be that as it may, 
So how to do the relief work, how to appreciate what relief work's being done by uh, the spiritual master of, of this Sangha, and how to assist in that if you, if you are so inclined and uh, requested to do so, or encouraged to do so, with likes every once in a while, uh, without performing Vaishnava Parad. Well, we can take a little bit of a, a hint from uh, a Christian uh, saying. They have a saying, we, we hate the sin, not the sinner. So we, we do make a distinction between somebody that whose heart may be in the wrong place, but their head may not have caught up to their heart yet. What I mean by that is they want to be Krishna's devotee, they want to spread Krishna consciousness, but they're in a situation where they are in a swamp of misconception surrounded by others who are... Yes? You meant their heart in the right place, right? Yes. What did I say? In the wrong place. Oh, no, I meant the right place. I'm sorry. So, they just have bad association. Association is so important. So, big doesn't actually mean best. Maybe it can be, sometimes the opposite effect could be there. Um, and there is an elephant in the room. We can't avoid the elephant. There is an elephant in the Madhvagadiya Sampradaya, in the Western world and in the Eastern world now. It's a big, he's a big fella and he wields his weight. Uh, but mm, I won't say more than that. <laughs> Always take care to always respect all devotees, even if they're full of misconceptions. You can look at those misconceptions in the same way we look at the verse we're studying tonight from Vishwanath. They may have what are bad qualities, anarthas, misconceptions. Uh, miscon their, their position is not just a judgment based on uh, what we would call sinful acts. Because generally when you look at a devotee, you, 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 we naturally want to judge based their saintliness, their sadhuness. We naturally want to judge that based on truthfulness, cleanliness, austerity, mercy, you know, these, these natural qualities that may not have manifested yet. So they may be dirty, they may have sin, they may be lusty, they may be uh, gross in a lot of different ways, but uh, they're still sadhus. So, similarly, devotees may have misconceptions, they may spread misconceptions, they may preach misconceptions, they may put themselves forward as authorities when they don't know, uh, you know, 
uh, I can't think anything but curse words to say here, so I won't say anything. But, you know, uh, they just might not know. You know? Uh, so, always take care uh, when you're dealing with that. And take care even when we hear, as I said, we're an extremely philosophically inclined group because of the order that our spiritual master is following from Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Maharaj to do relief work in the Gaudiya Vaishnava Sampradaya. He's taken that to heart and he's doing the best he can and that requires taking the bull by the horns and the bull is a bull of misconception or an elephant with a big huge trunk and trying to pull it in the right direction Let's get back to bhakti. Let's get back to basics. Understand what you're talking about here. So, especially uh, uh, as new students, we should be careful to uh, to to not uh, miss to make sure we always separate in our mind the devotee, the sadhu from not only material baggage, but misconceptions or misconceptions bore of their association with another organization that is doesn't have the, the glorious grounding that we have, the grounding that makes our practice enlivened practice, that makes our consciousness fixed consciousness. We have a rare gem here that's, that's, that's being polished continually so that we can truly become enthused and advanced, truly enthused on the spiritual level, not an enthusiasm that's simply based on numbers and and uh, the music that we play and the the you know the money that we collect. And I'm not being you know there is there is some some critique. I am doing some critique here. Those things are nice, but much nicer and enthusiastic our spiritual practice should be understanding Krishna, understanding Guru, understanding the Siddhanta and the Tattva. It's such a wealth and really wanting to purify our hearts in a true way, in a full way, in a, in a revealing way, not in a superficial way based on a social setting. I won't say more on that now, unless I get wound up. <laughs> Any questions about that? I have a question. Yes. So Drew Maharaj didn't, didn't uh, forgive their offense? Obviously not. We're going to get to that verse. Yes, he did. He didn't. He didn't. He did not take offense. He he was already he was he was firmly situated by then. So we're going to talk about. That is a verse that we're going to read here in a minute. Exactly what you're talking about. What about that sadhu? So, it's a, actually it's the next verse. You ready? Sometimes one commits an offense to a Mahabhagavat, exalted devotee. But due to the Mahabhagavat's quality of forgiveness, he does not become angry with the offender. Still, 
for his rectification, the offender should ask for forgiveness by paying obeisances to his lotus feet and serve him for his own pleasure. Shastra says, The glory of an offender is diminished by the dust of the lotus feet of a Mahabhagavat. This is certainly a proper reaction for evil-minded persons. One should thus understand from this verse that though Mahabhagavats do not generally get angry, the dust of their feet does not forgive an offender and accordingly accordingly gives him the reactions to his offense. So that it directly addresses. So Dhruva Maharaj became a Mahabhagavat. He was, he was, he became Krishna's pure devotee. He had Krishna's darsan. I mean, that's all it takes. Just one look. (laughs) There's a song you probably don't know about. So he didn't take offense. You're right. He didn't take offense. But the dust of his lotus feet takes offense. Um, We're going to move along. I need to start picking up my pace. Otherwise, it'll be like a year on the Doria Kadabani, and Guru Maharaj will say, oh, there's a lot there, what are you doing? So anyway. So, sadhu, broad definition. Mahabhagavat sadhu, who doesn't take offense, doesn't mean we don't beg forgiveness when we even think ill of them. And perhaps it would be good if I can quickly find it to go back and go over those six items of offending. There are six types of Vaishnava Aparad. First one's easy. You don't kill a devotee. <laughs> you don't blaspheme him. That also we've touched upon, that includes finding fault. You don't hate him, even if he does have a misconception or two, or a dozen. You always greet him nicely, so if you don't greet him nicely, that's an offense. You don't become angry with him. But you can become angry with the misrepresentation of, Madhya, of the Gaudiya Madhva Sampradaya that he may be putting forward. That you can become angry at. We want all the devotees to have the best opportunity. We don't want to see anybody cheated. And you're, you should always be glad to see a devotee. So, six types of Vaishnava Aparad. First one's easy. I don't think anybody here is ever going to do it. Let's kill a devotee. 
You're not going to blaspheme him. You're, when he comes, we welcome all Vaishnavs and we give them all facility. We greet them nicely. We don't hate them, no matter what they do, where they're coming from, what their philosophy is. They're Krishna's devotee. In their heart, they're Ananda Bhak. They want just to be a devotee. But it takes a time to get through the stage of Anarthanivriti. Um, we don't become angry, and we, uh, we're always glad to see Krishna's devotees. They are our saviors. I mean, if it wasn't for Krishna's devotees, where would any of us be? All right. Definition of sadhu, the Mahabhagavat, the super sadhu on steroids. He doesn't take offenses, he's so advanced, but the dust that his lotus feet does, and we have to, we can't, we, again, we can't game the system. We have to realize if we offend the spiritual master or the sadhu, we have to beg forgiveness, even if he, he's so kind that he would not forgive. And also when we look at, when, when we, it says the dust of the feet, it, if you look at it, what sometimes I've, I've looked at it in the way that the dust at the feet of the, of the, of the Mahabhagavat are his, are his devotees. He may not take offense, but the dust at his feet, his devotees, they take offense. Daksha offended Shiva. Shiva didn't take offense. He just, ah, okay, that's fine. He just avoided him, right? I'm not going back to your house. You treated me badly. I'll just leave this place. Then his wife wanted to go because of familial affection and it was a big party and when there's a party and everybody's dressing up and put on their jewelry and their makeup, it's like we all we, we all we all want to go. I want to see my sisters and my mom. You know. But she was married to, to Shiva and when he was offended, he again would not he wouldn't have done anything. You know. <coughs> but his wife his servant serving his lotus feet she took offense and she took her own life I can't I don't want to I don't want this body that came from, from I don't want the body that I got from your seed I'll just give it up this is a bad situation for me you've offended my husband and then the dust at the feet of Sita is who? Shiva. So he became offended when his wife was offended by Daksha. So much so that she, wanted, she gave up her body. Out comes a hair and watch out when Shiva pulls the hair from his head. I'd be running too.
Now Vishwanath goes and he he kind of it seems that he goes off course, but he really doesn't. What he's doing here is he's he's explaining to us how we should never under any circumstance become in the least bit envious when the guru shows extraordinary mercy and it may not be coming our way. Sometimes he shows us mercy, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes the unqualified person is moving to the fore and we're pushed to the back. So Vishwanath gives us the following verse. Sometimes due to some unknown reason or even without any reason, the all-powerful, most independent crest jewel of Mahabhagavats bestow their causeless mercy. There is no hard and fast rule for their bestowing mercy on others. For example, Mahabhagavat Jadbarat bestowed mercy on Rahugana. Though he made Jadbarat carry his palaquin and rebuked him with a poisonous torrent of sarcastic words. Shady Raj Uparichara Vasu bestowed his mercy on the atheistic demons that came to kill him. The most compassionate Nichananda Prabhu bestowed his mercy on the most sinful, sinful Madai who struck his forehead causing streams of blood to ooze from it. Just as it is an offense to blaspheme the saints. So it is to disrespect the guru. After this, we will discuss the difference between Shiva and Sri Vishnu. The spiritual master, the sadhu, is completely independent. He can bestow his mercy and his benediction at his whim to anyone and everyone. And basically what Vishwanath is saying here is when we see such an extraordinary display of exceptional mercy to who to those people that we feel should be totally neglected who feel, who we feel have even offended the guru or the sadhu so much so that we would want to you know rebuke them and 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 take them from his association so he wouldn't have to tolerate them um we need to be careful to never never apply such mundane thinking to the actions of our spiritual master, to the actions of the advanced devotees. Sometimes they just, they're just so kind-hearted that uh, they just give mercy to, to the, most, the most wretched. 
if they didn't do that, where would somebody like myself be? It's hard to understand. And it's an exceptional quality of Krishna's Kripa Shakti, his mercy potency, uh, that the guru acts in that way, completely independent of conventional moral standards. There's an elaborate discussion of all those pastimes here. Uh, everybody here is familiar with Jad Bharat, the story of Jad Bharat. And uh, Nityananda's being smashed in the head by Madai. The other, the other pastime is, is one uh, from another Purana. Uh, I wasn't familiar with it. But basically, again, it, was, it showed the extraordinary mercy of somebody that had been mistreated, even to the point that uh, the demons wanted to kill him. So, uh, because he had, he had, he had help, helped, he had helped the, uh, the demigods, and then he ended up uh, taking shelter in the lower planetary systems where the demons uh, rule the place, and they found out about his presence there, and they came and they wanted to kill him. Um, well, he just made them all devotees. So, how, how, how exceptional was that mercy? I'll stop there for this evening. Anyone have any questions? Yes. Well, in the beginning you were saying that we should worship the deities with our reverence or something mm -hmm. like that. But why would we want to do that if that's not really the position that we, you know, like, what if you think of someone as a friend or anything? I don't know. There's a saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Mm -hmm. So, in the beginning we need, until we're actually at the sta the advanced, more advanced stages, we don't want to adopt act actions that would falsely imitate someone that is a, truly at those stages. That's why the guru will tell tells his disciples, "You worship the, worship the deity with with awe and reverence." What's that mean? It means everything's done on time. All the mantras are said. We're not neglectful. We follow the the seva all the directions. We don't wear our shoes and we don't go into the kitchen and eat boga that's been prepared for the deities. Now, my spiritual master walked into the kitchen. He picked up an unoffered, uh, I don't know what it was, and he just popped it in his mouth. And the cook was like, Prabhupada, that's not offered. Oh, it's good. <laughs> so... That kind of illustrates what I'm saying. Somebody is truly there, they can do these kind of things. So, but our, our worship is, is a regulated worship as directed by our spiritual master. Now, if he tells you to think in a certain way and chant certain mantras, that's okay. He will set those standards. My spiritual master, he said, in the beginning we always worship the deity in a very reverential way. Does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. 
Anything else? Thank you for your time. Hare Krishna.